Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Ben Dowling, the founder of IP Info, a web service that provides IP address data for thousands of businesses and developers. In 2014, Ben was writing code for a project at work and found himself wasting a lot of time looking up information about IP addresses. So he built a simple API to help make his life easier. He also posted about it on Stack Overflow so other developers might also save some time. And his API turned out to be quite popular. So a year later, he added a paid plan and he was blown away when someone signed up for a $50 a month plan. Ben continued working his day job and slowly added new customers to his side project. Two years later, his API was generating over $100,000 a year. And that's when he finally quit his job and started working full-time on his business. He figured that without any distractions, his company would grow even faster. But instead of growing faster, his business actually stopped growing for some time. It didn't make much sense, and Ben struggled to get the business growing for for a while. He also made some fundamental mistakes along the way. For example, he allowed people to use his API without ever signing up. While that made it easy for people to use his product, he couldn't even market to them or even contact them to tell them about an outage. Today, his API project has grown into a multi-million dollar SaaS company with a team of 15 people. The API handles 40 billion requests a month, and its customers include companies like T-Mobile, Apple, and Demandbase. In this interview, we explore how Ben grew his business, why it stopped growing when he went full-time, and how he overcame some of the critical mistakes that he made along the way. So I hope you enjoy it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. 
Hey there, SaaS founders. Are you looking to grow your B2B SaaS business to the first million in annual recurring revenue? I've got something that can help you. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly source of proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with successful B2B SaaS founders who have been in your shoes and are ready to share what they've learned. Each week, you'll get a quick five-minute read delivered straight to your inbox, full of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Omar. So do you have a quote, something that inspires or motivates you or just gets you out of bed that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite quotes is from Admiral Grace Hopper, who was a pretty fascinating and, and inspiring woman. And her quote is, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, which I really like. Yeah, love that one. Um, so for uh, people who don't know about IP Info, tell us, what does the business do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yeah, absolutely. So we produce IP address metadata. So uh, you know, one of our big data sets is IP geolocation. So you give us an IP address and we'll tell you where it is. You know, Is this someone in San Francisco? Is this someone in London? We have a bunch of different data sets as well, IP to company, IP carry detection, IP privacy detection. So we'll tell you if an IP address is a, is a VPN or a proxy service. Most of our customers consume our data through our API. Our API does about 40 billion API requests a month. Although we also have a bunch of customers that download the data, whether that's to, to use in their own in-house data pipelines within their products and services. And there's you know, lots of different customer segments and lots of different use cases. Lots of uh, We have lots of customers in the cybersecurity industry that you know, will, will use us for for event enrichment and for you know threat investigation lots of web personalization so if you visit a website it might give you a different message if you're in seattle versus if you're in london uh, that could be a user visible thing or that could be something behind the scenes you're know, just tracking where the users from so you can send more targeted uh, marketing messages and lots of lots of ad tech and lots of, you know lots of other interesting use cases but you know the, the, the piece that we focus on is is really creating that you know the best most comprehensive and accurate data around ip addresses and so whatever that context might be for for the customer's use case we focus on making sure that data is really great and really easy to access and that you have like 100,000 customers today both businesses and developers the business is bootstrapped uh, what's the size of the team Team is currently fifteen people, and we're we're all all over the globe. So we've got you know a fully remote team. We were fully remote from the start, pre pre COVID, uh, and will continue to be. Which you know that used to be different. Now I guess most businesses are currently. But yeah, we we've we've been been remote, fully distributed from the start. We've got people all over, all over the world in all sorts of different time zones. Okay, and and where are you in terms of revenue? How big is the business? So the the business has been growing. We grew fifty percent last year. We're on track to grow grow more than that this year. And you were doing doing uh, multiple millions in revenue per year. Okay, so let's talk about where this idea came from. Most people don't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to help people figure out how to use IP addresses better. So where did this idea come from? Yeah, that's right. And so the, the, that, that's not how it happened for me either. So I, I had been using you know, IP geolocation data in, in various projects and it was just a pain to set up. You know, the data was available, but it was it was really hard to access. You had to download files and upload them on servers, and you remember to update them. And it was just a pain. You know, I'd done this four or five times for four or five different side projects, and it just came to do a new one. And I thought, hey, there's got to be a better way, right? Instead of doing this on a new server, I can just set it up in one centralized way and create an API so that you know 
all my different projects can just call the API and there's just you know, one server where I have to manage this and maintain this instead of instead of a bunch of different places. And then I you know, posted about it on, on Stack Overflow. There's some questions that were like, hey, you know, how can I easily get an IP address or how can I easily get geolocation data? And you know, all the answers at the time, like, hey, you've got to go and download all this, this stuff and jump through all these hoops. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, the, the way that I've done it is, is a much simpler solution. And so I kind of went in and, and answered some questions and said, you know, another option here is just to call my API. You know, it's, it's free. It's easy to use. Uh, I thought it could be a good way to save, you know, that some developers could save some time. And it quite quickly got some traction and you know, people started using it in their projects and you know, it kind of evolved from there. So what did you build it for? You, you had a full-time job at the time? Yeah, I had a full-time job at the time. Uh, so the, yeah, this was just, you know, just help me with side projects. Uh, I thought it'd be useful. I thought it'd be interesting. And as it started getting traction, it kind of kind of pulled me more towards it and was interested in solving similar problems, right? And so it's like, okay, we've downloaded some geolocation data and people come to us and say, hey, this is great. Can I also get, you know, the ISP? And so spent more and more time, you know, looking into how can we get additional data sets that can help people that are kind of kind of already using our API. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot about the whole sort of geolocation business, but one thing I, I always experienced in the past, whenever uh, I, I worked on any project where there was some sort of geolocation component, was that it was really challenging to get accurate information from an IP address. Like, so I'm curious, like how you as a, as a kind of solo developer part-time came up with something that other people wanted to use or, and found it uh, reliable or, or accurate enough. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, I mean, that, that piece came much later, right? So initially the thing that we were offering was a really reliable API that was simple to use versus having to go and download the data. And so we were just using third-party data that, you, know, as you say, not great data. But you know, our, our kind of proposition wasn't, hey, you know, our geolocation data is any better. It's just it's much simpler way to, to kind of pull up geolocation data. And then the feedback we started getting was exactly exactly what you've just raised, right? Hey, your data kind of sucks, right? Like you know, you're saying I'm in <laughs> Seattle, but but you know, I'm I'm actually in San Francisco. How did you get this so wrong? And initially, we're like, hey, it's not our data, right? Go go report this to a third party. We provide the call <laughs> API. Uh, we know the data kind of sucks, but that's just kind of the state of things. But over time, we got more and more and more of this feedback. You know, as our as our popularity grew, we'd have more eyes on our data and more people reporting stuff to us. And then it became okay. Well, like. Can we can we make this data better, right? Can we, do we are we stuck with this third party data? Is this just the state of things? And and you know, sort of evolved the the kind of focus to just be okay. Yeah, we it's third party data, but we make it really easy to access. To you know, we can actually make much much better data, right? And and today you know we've got a got a team of of data engineers and data scientists working on this. Uh, and you know that's that's one of our main focuses is not just making it really easy to access over the API, but also also having really really great data, right? And so that's that's been a focus of yeah, let's, let's not just make it easy to use. Let's also make sure the data is great. Awesome. Okay. So I want to kind of get in more into how how you sort of started and sort of turn this, this tool into a business. Before we do that, I think it's probably worthwhile just kind of sharing with our audience just a little bit about your background. So there's some, there's some context here. So initially, you, you were working for a company in, in England that was acquired by Facebook. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about kind of that journey in terms of what you were doing before you launched IP Info? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was, you know, and I I worked at various startups in in London and then we were working on a, an Android photo sharing app 
uh, at the time that that you know, was 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 having some moderate success. It was the very early days of of Android apps and of Android really in general. And then Instagram came out on Android and you know, was better than us and was growing faster than us. And so you know, we were able to the, the team was able to figure out a, a nice soft landing at Facebook and and you know, the, the whole team moved out to California. That was very exciting. Um, this is my first time ever to America. I, I flew out and you had to, to interview at Facebook and at a bunch of different places. And that was kind of a whirlwind, uh, whirlwind week. And then uh, my wife was, I think she was seven months pregnant with our second child at the time. And she, you know, that was a few months later when we actually moved to America uh, and she flew out and you know, landed in America for the first time she'd been here pregnant you know, with, a, with a two-year-old baby. So that was that was a whirlwind time. Wow. Yeah, was, that was an adventure. But that was that was a lot of fun. I had a couple of years at Facebook. Enjoyed that. Worked on the ads integrity team. So you know, trying to stop bad ads and uh, payment fraud around ads, and you know, blocking malicious advertisers, and you know, getting to see some some really interesting, you know, behind the scenes stuff on, on both sides. Right, how to block this sort of malicious behavior, but also you know, sort of the scammy things that that people are trying to promote and push. Had an interesting time there. And it was while I was there that you know I'd always been kind of working on side projects, you know, just fun hobbyist things, just to you know sharpen my dev skills and you know just sort of as a hobby. But you know, just just sort of launch this as a as a side project as an API, and then you know I, I left Facebook for after a couple of years. I got my green card, and then I went and was was CTO at Calm, the the guided meditation app, for a couple of years, and got that to a point that you know they had a, a really solid engineering team, and that was really starting to take off. And, and in parallel. IP info had been kind of taking off as well. Uh, and so it felt like a kind of a natural inflection point after a couple of years at Calm to kind of go and shift and, and work on IP info full time. Okay, so you you launched the first version of IP info around 2014, which is sort of around the time that you were sort of moving from Facebook to, to Calm. And you didn't start charging for the product until 2015 and then went full-time around 2016. So, Yeah, right at the end of 2016. So, yeah. So tell us a, sort of a little bit more about that so that you've, you've got this tool up and running, you've posted it on Stack Overflow. That first year, this was there was no intention to run a business or turn it into a business, was there? It was just you were putting it out there. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I thought it could just be something that would save me some time. Right. And then I thought, Hey, you know, let's, let's open this up to, to other developers that, that may help them save some time. I thought, you know, they might use it on personal blogs, on side projects. You know, I really didn't see, see there being an opportunity for commercial usage because, you know, this was something that I, I just sort of initially set up over the weekend. Right. And it's like, Hey, I'm going to set this up. I'll spend a weekend on it. And you know, it might save me a couple of days effort, you know, every, every six months or something. And you know, if I can help some other people save some effort, that's great. And the, the goal was just, yeah, this really simple API. I think what, what happened quite quickly was that people, it wasn't just you know, hobbyist developers using it. And there, there were a, you know, a whole bunch of those. There were people, uh, you know, companies actually using it, right? And I thought that was, that, was, that was interesting. And it wasn't because they couldn't set this up. It was just because you know, in big organizations, right, it's hard to get developer resources. They're busy on other projects. You know, then they've got to go and provision a server. And so there's all these kind of overheads and costs with, with getting something set up. And a lot of times, you know, it might be a product manager just sign up and say, hey, you know, I can just put this on the company credit card. I'm good to go. Don't have to worry about it again, right? Whether it's just for internal tooling or for anything. And so there was a lot. You know, it, it turned out I wasn't just solving a pain point for me and, and you know, fellow hobbyist developers. This was a pain point for, for people in general, right? They just really want to get really simple geolocation data really easily. And there's a bunch of hoops they had to jump through before, not just the hoops I was aware of as a developer with like, okay, I've got to download this and set this up. You know, people at corporations got to jump through even more hoops, right? They've got to go and 
get IT to sign off for a new server or they've got to you know, rope in some developers to set this up and they've got to have a maintenance plan for the server that's running it. Uh, and so you're just saying, hey, you know, it's two lines of code. That's all you need to do. You don't need to worry about it. Kind of really resonated. Okay, so so year one, you've got the product out there. It's It's a free API. Anybody can use it. And you're just telling people in Stack Overflow about this. Was this just like a couple of posts or were you actually actively going back into Stack Overflow at the time in that first year? Yeah, I, I, initially it was. Initially there was the, like there was no plan for Stack Overflow to be, say, a, a growth channel, right? Which is what it eventually became. You know, I was I was just an active member of the Stack Overflow community anyway, right? You know, I just spend some time on there looking for interesting questions to answer. Uh, you know, I post my own questions when I ran into issues. And so, you know, it was just a great resource. And so I would, I can't remember if I'd originally seen the question, like how to get, you know, geolocation or whatever, or, or if I'd kind of stumbled across a question. But, I, you know, I, I found a couple of questions to answer, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, there are a bunch of hoops I've got to jump through. And, you know, I just said, hey, you know, I've launched this API, IPinfo.io. Here's the three lines of code or whatever to, to do it in, in PHP. Here's the response it gives you. You know, here's how to pass it. I'm, you know, spend some time giving a detailed answer. And I, I think I did that, you know, on a, on a handful of posts. And they very quickly got upvoted and very quickly started sending us a lot of traffic. And you know, those answers ended up being the, the top voted answers. And so then I would became more conscious that, okay, you know, this could be a way to, to kind of attract new users. And so at that point, spent a lot of time, often in batches, you know, but, but would say, okay, well, look, you know, let's, let's find other questions where people might be asking for similar things. And you know, ended, there ended up being a, a kind of a long tail, right? Once you've answered the kind of the first five, they get the most traffic and the most eyeballs. But you know, there were kind of ways that you could find other related ones, right? So people would say, how can I get geolocation in JavaScript? Or how can I get geolocation in PHP? Or you know, how can I get you know, geolocation in, in WordPress? And so then I would go through and try and answer most of those. And then you know, I would run out of those questions. But it ended up actually up be, being a, a good way to kind of work out how to evolve the product because I would find sort of related questions. And so I think maybe in the very first version of IPinfo, we didn't return the IP address. You know, we would just return the location. But there were questions like, how do I get an IP address in JavaScript? And so in the browser, you know, there's no way to get the user's IP address. And so it's like, oh, well, this, you know, this is a field we could easily add, right? And then that, that, could, that could be applicable to this question. Uh, and similar questions, right? How do I get the user's ISP in, in JavaScript? And so it's like, oh, well, you know, let's go figure out a way that we can collect that information, let's add it to the API, and then we can kind of go back to Stack Overflow and answer not just that question, but you know, there'll, be a, there'll be a whole host of questions that may say, how do I do that in PHP, JavaScript, et cetera. And so you know, it was kind of identifying what are the, the next sort of set of questions, making sure that our product supports that. Sometimes it already did, sometimes it didn't, and we, I'd need to go and kind of add an enhancement, and then going through and kind of answering all those, all those questions. So a year later, you, you introduced the paid plan. What happened? Yeah, so the I was somewhat reluctant to add paid plans. You know, I thought this is a, a cool free service, and I had more and more people using it. And you know, I was getting server alerts that hey, you know, your server's at its limits. And so you know, I upgraded the server a few times. And you know, these are still I think you know twenty dollar or forty dollar a month servers. So it wasn't you know a huge expense. But I thought this is really interesting, right? That that not only are people using, not only a lot of people using it. Yeah, you know, I could see that. Some users were using it a lot. You know, I, there was one IP address, or whatever, that's making a million requests a day, and so I thought, wow, you know, I, I kind of assumed that no one would make maybe more than a thousand requests a day. If there are people out there making millions of requests a day, maybe they, maybe they pay. And so, you know, my wife's like, just go, you know, just go launch and pay plans. And I was like, well, I'm not sure. You know, it's a it's a bunch of work, and I don't know if anybody's really going to pay. And so, you know, just decided to launch pay plans and, and and picked a bunch of different price points with somewhat arbitrary 
request them. To me, that was obvious that the price would be based on the the amount of requests. And so I would keep it free below a thousand requests, which is kind of what I assumed that the highest volume of requests would be. And then layered on paid plans on top of that. And so I think it was uh, 50 bucks a month for, I think it was 10,000 requests. And these were daily limits at this point. For 10,000 requests, there's there's a $100 plan for 50,000 requests. And and, the plans went up to a maximum of a $200 plan. Uh, and there were you know somewhat arbitrarily chosen limits, but I thought those sort of price plans would give me a good sense of you know how much would people be willing to pay. And very very quickly, people started paying, and not just you know hobbyist developers, but you know I had like some some big companies sign up and pay for you know even the two hundred dollar account. I think within the first couple of weeks, I had to sign up for the two hundred dollar account, which I you know I just I thought that might be there to help anchor for some of the other prices. But you know people started paying, and then I was like, wow, you know I need to add a four hundred dollar plan, and then I think I had the six hundred dollar plan as well. I think we ended up getting one sign up for $600, right? And so I thought, okay, like now it's like I seem to be be reaching the limit of 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 what we've got here. But yeah, I was I was kind of surprised that very very quickly people started signing up and signing up for you know, all the various plans. It wasn't just like everybody was on the, the smallest plans. So how much revenue were you doing in that second year? Where, where did you get to once you'd launched the paid plan? I can't remember where we got to at the end of the second year, but I do remember it, it happened very quickly because uh, I remember being very excited within you know, say the first month we we're doing a few hundred dollars in revenue. And then I think in the second month, you know, maybe it was you know, a few hundred more, but very quickly it got to say it was one or 2,000. And I remember at that time thinking, well, this is really exciting, right? This is a, a side project that's making some money. Um, this is really cool. And you know, it kind of kept doubling and the doublings got, got quicker, right? And so I think I remember when we hit, you know, maybe it was $4,000 a month and you know, maybe that had taken a couple months. And I think it was like less than a week later, we hit $5,000 a month. That was when I got really excited, right? Like, okay, you can kind of see where, see the, the kind of trajectory that this is taking now. And so you you went full-time in 2016, at the end of 2016. How much was the business making then? At that point, it was making, uh, it was making more than my salary. So I think it was making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And at that point, I'd been you know, just working on it part-time. Uh, and at that point, you know, I was getting more and more sort of I mean, for the, for the longest time, I wasn't sure if this is, hey, this is going to be a great side project, right? I don't know if this is actually a, a business that can sustain me full-time, let alone a team, right, and how big the opportunity might be. And so I think it was kind of clear by the end of, of 2016, or, or, you know, from it was getting clearer and clearer throughout 2016 that, you know, this, this kind of did have legs as, as a real business, right? There were more and more sort of larger customers that were, you know, really happy with the service, that were, you know, talking to us about, other things we could help them with. You were seeing growing demand and also more demand, just not not just in terms of like leads and science, but sort of growing demand in terms of people were okay with the service, but there's a bunch of other things they wanted, right? And so it, it was, it probably could have just been like, hey, you know, here's what the service does, not going to invest in it. It can just be this side project, but it was clear there's an opportunity to do a lot more, right? So, you know, I talked about some of the things around, oh, you know, the, the, the location data sucks, and you're starting to work on some of those things. And it's like, okay, you know, if we if we really nail this, then you know, this is this this can be much more than just a a, a simple API that you know is really useful and saves a bunch of time for a bunch of people. But you know, there's there's really opportunity to have an impact that's much bigger than that. So before you went full time, did you have any? Had you hired any help full time or part time, or was it just you doing everything? It was mostly me. There were there were a few points where I I, I had yeah before. I went full-time. I had, throughout 2016, I, I bought on a couple of contractors, mostly part-time and mostly ad hoc. You know, I bought on some some contractors to help with specific projects. So, you know, we, I, I've been working on some data pipelines by then. 
and you know, there are a bunch of pieces that were slow. And so your hire contractors just say, hey, look, you know, I've got this slow piece of my data pipeline. Here's the input. Here's the desired output. You know, maybe it takes you know, 30 minutes to run right now. Can you go create me a utility that's quicker? You know, and, and we'd sort of hire people on an ad hoc project basis like that. And you know, they, they, you know, there was sort of no interaction, right? I'd say, here's the input. Here's the desired output. A month later, I'd say, hey, here's, here's a way to do it quickly and, and pay per project. And then the support load was getting really high as well. You know, I, I, I was commuting up from Mountain View to San Francisco at the time and would you know, answer some support emails on the, the, the Caltrain on the way up. But it, you know, it got to the point where I was, by the time I got in San Francisco, I still hadn't answered all the emails. You know, and then after work on the train home, I still hadn't got through all the emails. And so it's like uh, they, they, were, they were building up and building up. And so at that point as well, I got someone to help with you know, doing, doing some of the support, taking on some of the support load. So in, in addition to using Stack Overflow, and obviously just having a free API that, you know, people talk about people, you know, one developer will tell another developer and then sort of just going through word of mouth. You were also starting to get traffic through SEO. Was, was that something deliberate that you'd done to kind of focus on SEO as a channel? Or was it just something you just started to see happening and, and the site getting organic traffic? Yeah, that was that was really deliberate. Not, not necessarily. So th- th- it was it was definitely deliberate. So I think from the the very you know first version of the website, you know, created static content pages for every every IP address, and so that wasn't necessarily the the goal wasn't necessary to be like a a, a growth channel for leads. It was just like hey, you know, this you know, I, I want to create useful content around IP addresses. It makes sense to have web pages that that demonstrate that, right? And so I, that was kind of going back to the the free mindset of giving away the free API. It's like, hey, I could just create useful pages for IP addresses, you know. And, and you're part of the initial problem I saw was making get, making it easy to access this, you know, not just through an API, but you know, as a web page where you could just go and look up an IP address, right? And we could say, hey, you know, this is an IP address in Seattle. An API is a great way to get that, but just kind of browsing a web page would be would be another good way to do that. And there were sort of no web pages that just sort of had that information on. That I was able to find at the time, so I thought, hey, you know, this is just a useful thing to do. You know, it's it's not much extra work, and so we, we from, right from the start, we had you know, if you go to ipinfo.io/slash, you know, any random IP address, we had you know, a full page that would say this is the IP address. You know, here's the ISP, basically just a, a visual display of what we had in the API, and so you know, those pages started getting indexed, and and so then you know, people would would Google an IP address and find our page, and so that drove a lot of traffic to our website and, and still does. You know, I, th- I think we're at this point, you're probably the, the top result in Google for a lot of IP addresses and a lot, of, a lot of ISP names and things like that. But it's sort of a mixed bag. So it's been a good channel in a lot of ways. You know, it gets us a lot of traffic, uh, gets us awareness of our product. It also kind of creates a lot of support load from you know, some really strange things. You know, we, we, get, we get to see a lot, of, a lot of strange things in our support queue. And so there are some that, that make sense. You know, like people will say, hey, my Xbox stopped working. Can you fix it? And we're like, what? But then it turns out you know, if, you, if you get an Xbox and there's a problem with your internet, you, you, you get to see an error on your screen with an IP address. And so people just go to Google. You know, they type in that IP address, not knowing that that's an IP address. Assume it's an error code or something. Uh, and you know, land on our web page and then just, just shoot off a support request. That's funny. So we get things like that. You know, every time, yeah, every time that, that like, um, say like Telegram's blocked in Iran or you know, whatever country gets blocked in, I think that in the client it pops up an error with an IP address. And so people will Google that, they'll land on our, our IP address page, and they'll just hit contact. And so you're with, like every time there's sort of a big, a big event with with some IP addresses, 
uh, that lots of people are seeing. We get a you know a big flood of support requests saying, "Hey, you know, can you fix my Telegram?" And you have to say, "Oh, sorry, you know, that's that's not really us. You know, we're, we're someone else." We get lots of interesting law enforcement requests. People saying, "Hey, you know." Uh, we've seen you hacking us from this IP address and we have to explain, you know, it's not our IP address. That's just a page that we have details on. We can help you with it with, you know, we, we, one of our data sets is abuse contact information. So, you know, here's the actual details for the person you should be contacting if you've seen abuse from this IP address, but it's, you know, that, that's not actually us. So there's, there's a lot of noise that comes from kind of having these popular IP pages. Um, but we've, we've definitely, you know, have had customers that have discovered this that way and, you know, have landed customers through that channel. So it's, it's, it's a mixed bag, you know, it, it, generates a lot of traffic for us. It brings us some customers, but it it creates a a lot of noise as well. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. Okay, so at the start of 2017, you are now full-time working on the business. How long did it take you to get to your first million in ARR? I think that took a while. So that kind of, it it felt like it took an eternity and then it sort of kind of creeped up on me. That was the focus for a while, right? It's like, hey, I'm full-time on this now, right? I've been doing this, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week. I can kind of roll up my sleeves, really dive into it. I've got no distractions. You know, this is going to grow much quicker now. Everything's going to move faster. And what was kind of disappointing was everything sort of slowed down. That was really interesting and really frustrating because it's like, wow, I'm putting all this extra effort in and it's, it's kind of not apparent in the numbers. I think doing it part-time actually really helped to be ultra-focused, right? And so in the, in the early days, I hadn't built out any account dashboards. I hadn't built out anything. You know, the, if a user wanted to update their credit card, they would have to email me and I would create a one-time link that would send them to Stripe and they could update it. You know, they would, and if they, people had questions about their request volumes, they would shoot me an email and I'd put it from the database and send it back to them. And so you know, it was really bare bones, right? All the focus was on building out, you know, making the API really reliable and fast, you know, making sure that, that, that all the data was in the, the exact right format that people wanted. And, you know, it's kind of de- delivering on the, the core value proposition. But there was this sort of big backlog of, of things that people obviously wanted, right? Like, okay, I need to go and change my account password or I need to you know, update my credit card without having to go through an email support, right? And when you've got 10 or 100 users, that's doable through support, but you know, that, that's not going to be, not going not gonna to hold up later. And so then I had to come and build out this whole backlog of things that we were just missing, but kind of didn't help with the, the core value proposition, right? The things that kind of people just assume you have, like account dashboards and user management and all these things and you're know, cleaning up our our pricing and you know improving our rate limiting all these things that I thought hey I can go fix this now and spent you know they took a lot of effort but didn't kind of really result in a change in trajectory in the business and so you know the focus had been for a long time hey let's get to a million let's get to a million I was busy focusing and then we sort of really shot past it and I think you know, I remember checking the, the metrics one month it's like oh wow we kind of blew past that and that, so it was that was exciting but I also kind of missed it. So why do you think that happened, that you're now working full-time on the business, 
you're clearly focused now on 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 growing what was not helping you grow was it you just working on the wrong things or something else i think it because you know when i could only do it 10 or 20 hours a week right i had to be laser focused on like what is it that's actually kind of useful right what's what's delivering value and then when i'm like oh hey you know I, i've got a limited time to work on this now there's a bunch of things that you want to get done and that you know in reality you need to get done right but they're not actually kind of directly related to driving the business value. And at the time I wanted to do it, you know, I was doing pretty much everything myself, right? And so by then me saying, okay, right, I'm going to go build out the account dashboard and do all these other things that needed to get done, it kind of takes the focus off, okay, well, let's, what about actually growing the business and things? And so I think there was an element of that. And I think you know, it, it, somewhat initially I'm like, hey, I'm kind of do all this by myself and let's kind of wait until I really need to get other people and you, know, I'd rather kind of hire more slowly. And I think that's true. But I think that in the, you know, that initial, okay, it's going from me from doing 10 to 20 hours a week to me full time, that should be enough to cover everything. It probably wasn't, right? There's, there's probably a whole big backlog of things to do. And it would really help to, to you know, bring another engineer on sooner to be like, hey, you can kind of pick up all these things that are important to do, but that aren't going to drive the business. Or on the flip side, you know, hire someone to kind of help focus and grow the business. And, and you know, maybe it would get a sales guy in earlier to kind of help out and focus on that while I'm kind of building out these, these, all, these, all these important things, but that, that weren't driving the business. When did you hire your first full-time employee? My first full-time employee, I think, was early 2018. So for, for pretty much all of 2017, it was just me full-time. Uh, you know, I brought in a few contractors during that time and, and some part-time people, but the full first full-time was in early 2018. Now, th- there was a couple of things that I, th- I thought were interesting about the, the kind of the growth story here. When you were, like, like today, a, a big part of your business comes from enterprise companies, right? So anyone goes to IP Info website, they'll see logos like Dell and CBS and Xerox and, you know, the list goes on. But when you were working full time and you started getting contacted by people who wanted to talk about an enterprise plan, you didn't initially see that as an opportunity. It was more like a distraction. So t- tell us tell us a little bit more what, what what was happening there. Yeah, I actually found it really frustrating. You know, this was a, a small side project that I was for fellow developers like me, right? This was just something that was going to save developers some time. I wanted it all to be self-serve. You know, I, I built the, the pricing page and, you know, I started to get some emails from from people saying, hey, I would love to jump on a sales call with you and, and get a demo or, you know, learn more about how you could could help us on our project. And I would email back and say, no, you know, the, the, all the details you need on the pricing page, you know, kind of, kind of go away and leave me alone was, was the sort of the, the vibes I was sending out. You know, it's like, I'm busy, I'm busy at work. You know, I'm going to be on a train later. I haven't got, haven't got time to talk to you. <laughs> and uh, what I hadn't, what I didn't appreciate until I actually took some of those calls from, you know, some persistent people or, you know, probably after I, I'd, I'd seen a bunch of these come in and, and like, there must be something here. My expectation was, Hey, you I've got a, there's a $50 plan on the, on the website everything you need to know about that $50 plan is on the website. Like, why do we even need a phone call, right? Like the, the documentation's there, the, the pricing's there. What more could could you need to speak to me about? And you're, you're, you're perhaps just wasting my time and time that I don't have, right? With, with a full-time job and, and doing this side project. But I think what I, what I totally underestimated was, you know, how important those conversations could be to, you know, basically land 
interesting large customers that have you know sometimes completely custom requirements uh you know sometimes they were just on a fishing expedition and, and you know, could say hey look we have this really interesting large-scale thing we're working on and we're looking for people that can help and you know what what's on your website won't help us at all but you know we're just trying to trying to see if, if you can help and sometimes the answer would be no you know i know nothing about this we're not a fit and you know but, but a bunch of really really interesting projects came out of, of those conversations and you know, a bunch of things that have, have made it to products today and also what i hadn't appreciated is that more often than not those customers are, are you know more than happy to pay a lot more than your fifty dollar self-service plan but they just need a lot more in return, right? They they need you to, to go on yearly billing and you know to jump on calls and give them support contracts and you know that they need to know that hey, is this service can be around in a couple of years? You know, if if it goes down, is there someone I can call? You know, are you a reputable company? Are you are you, are you improving over time? And you know, all, all reasonable things to to want to know. And and they just have you know very different risk profile and, and all that kind of stuff. And so initially, yeah, I'm like, hey, you know, just kind of wasting my time. But it turned out that that. Obviously, those calls ended up being really important for growing the business and, and the product roadmap and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, th- there might be some enterprise customers who will come to a website and and sign up and put a credit card in, but that's just the nature of enterprise sales, right? That people don't always want to do that. They want to figure out what's actually going on. Is this the right product for me? And And talking to somebody... And then sort of figuring out that way whether this is a good fit or getting a demo. It, it's just, I, I guess it's just the understanding how enterprise sales happen and then, you know, what you need to do as a business to sort of, you know, fit into that. Um, so yeah, at what point did you... <laughs> Did you start taking this seriously for the, for the enterprise sales? I think, and I, I see this a lot with with you know, I guess developers on Twitter with with similar products, right? And they they say, and this is this was exactly my attitude at the time, right? Like, oh, you know, I've got this this really demanding enterprise customer that wants me to jump through all these hoops, and you know, just like, hey, it's you know, the fifty dollars plans on the website. That's all you need to know, right? What else could you want? You're just kind of sort of wasting my time. I think what what I didn't appreciate, and you know what people in similar situations that appreciate is your enterprise are more than happy to pay for all these, all this additional stuff. Right. And they have the expectation that they will pay. And so I think going into it, like I, I figured that out slowly over time after a bunch of these calls, right. You know, that I'd say, well, you know, okay, yeah, you're asking for a bunch of stuff. I can probably figure it out, but it's going to be a ton of work. You know, I'm not sure if we can do this for, for 50 bucks a month. Right. And they'd be like, of course not. Right. Like, like that's not our expectation at all. We're more <laughs> than happy to pay lots for you. Right. We have this, we have this big budget for it. And you'd be like, oh, wow. Okay. Right. You know, I'd love to go do this work for you and, and take a bunch more of these calls. And so I think that that is, you know, if you're coming from a you know, developer background where, you know, you, you kind of reluctantly pay for software and you think kind of $50 is a lot to pay, which it is right. As, as a hobbyist developer, but you know, these coming from the enterprise side, if they're like, hey, you know, I've got this huge project that, you know, needs something like what you've got, you know, this may help our business generate tens of millions of dollars of additional revenue, right? Um, you know, I've, I've probably got a team of five people that are all highly paid spending a month figuring out what the best solution is, right? And so, you know, the, the kind of the numbers are involved and that the kind of the whole framing of it is very, very different from selling something to $50 developers. Uh, and so I think that that is... You know, when you're expecting to sell for 50 bucks, it, it seems like a huge headache and a, and a kind of distraction. But I think understanding that that's not the expectation from, from their side at all. And that you, know, you get really useful information on, on a, a real problem they're trying to solve, right? It's not just like, oh, hey, yeah, I can kind of go do personalization on my blog. It's you know, understanding what it is that's, that's driving value for, for big enterprises that you know, have big budgets and real 
problems to solve and, and you know, where your product can add real leverage for them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I, the other interesting thing you told me about that I want to talk about is that even though you'd, you'd introduce the the paid plans and people were signing up, you'd made the free plan like super easy to use. In fact, probably too easy because people didn't even have to sign up or anything. They could just start using it, which was great for a developer. But from your point of view, like there was no way for you to even communicate with these people or tell them about what was going on or or tell them about the paid plans. So what, what, what kind of problems did that create for you when you introduced the paid plans? Yeah, so that that was, I mean, you're at, and that was initially part of the whole pitch, right, of IPM for it's like it's so simple. You don't even need to sign up. You don't get any developer tokens, right? You just kind of hit this API endpoint and you get all the data. And that was, you know, that was kind of key. But then, then later on, that caused a bunch of problems. And so one of the issues was, you know, as we launched paid plans, we had no way to reach out to all the free users, right, and say, hey, by the way, you know, we offer pay plans, and then later, you know, we offer different services that you could find useful so that in, in terms of like for marketing right we, we generate all this demand we had lots of people that loved our free api that would have been you know great potential candidates to be customers for our other offerings that we had no way to reach out to and you know, it took us several years right before we kind of said okay you, you you can now sign up for a free plan right there wasn't even a way to do that right if you if unless you were paying us we had no way to capture email and no way for a user to give us an email so you know, we, we kind of missed out on a on a you know a bunch of early users there but i mean it also caused problems for users right so we, anybody that was if you were on the free plan you know when you were just testing things out there was no way for you to kind of naturally transition over to a paid plan later you know, you, you'd have to go and make some changes to, to switch to a free to a pay plan, and so you, we had users that were on the free plan that would hit a limit, and things would break for them, right? So it, once you hit the limit, we we send an error code, and there seemed to be lots of developers, that, you know, even big organizations that were just sort of copying pasting our answers from Stack Overflow, pasting it on like really highly trafficked websites, and like hitting the rate limit, and you know we. Like there were some some big websites that were throwing errors, you know, because they were calling our API and 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 hitting errors, and you know we we wanted to help them, right? We want to, want to reach out to the trying to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, love that you're using our API, but you know you're you're only getting geolocation information for the first thousand users a day, and then you're kind of breaking your website, right? You should really come sign up for a paid plan, and then everything would work really nicely. We had no one to contact, and so you know the, the very early days, I spent a bunch of time, you know, trying to find engineers, all these sort of big websites on Twitter, and reach out to them, or you know, try and find contact details in who is. And a lot of the time, they would say, "Oh, sorry, you know, that was some junior developer." You know, when I finally tracked someone down, "Oh, sorry, some junior developer copied and pasted this code off Stack Overflow. We're going to delete it, right?" And so it, it turned out that wasn't it, it wasn't a good use of my time, right? I was spending all <laughs> yeah. this time telling the website was broken, and they would just say, "Oh, thanks for the heads up. You know, I'm going to go go delete the code." And so, yeah, having the email address capture not only helped us, right, be able to reach out to users and say, "Hey, you know, we've launched this great new feature." Also, to as a way to kind of get in touch with users, like, hey, you know, you're approaching your rate limits. You know, you might want to make some changes. You know, and also on education pieces, right? Like, hey, you've you've got this set up. Are you are you aware of our rate limits, right? Are you aware that this kind of developed for smaller websites with on the on this free plan, right? If you're kind of calling this on a high traffic website, here are the pay plans, and you know, here's how you can kind of get in touch with us if you need any help. When did you actually start asking people to sign up for a free plan? Probably some point in 2018. I will say it's still optional, right? So the very first time that we we did it, we launched it, and it was an option. 
you can still call our, you know, our, our, we call it our unauthenticated API. It is somewhat deprecated. You know, it's sort of feature frozen. We, we keep iterating and adding to the, the free API. The unauthenticated one still exists. You know, we, we still kind of think it's really important to kind of support, you know, all the, all the users that we've had all this time. But yeah, the, the recommended kind of plan of action now is you sign up for your API token, you can get started on the free plan, and then we'll keep you informed on you know, as you approach any limits or anything like that. So at least for the first four years of the product, people could come and use it and there was no way for you to communicate with them. Yeah, no way <laughs> at all, which was tough. Yeah, pretty challenging. All right. And then sort of beyond what we talked about, sort of Stack Overflow, having a free API, SEO, what have you been doing in the, the last two, three years to to keep growing the business? Are those still the main channels or as your sort of marketing evolved and you're doing more outbound sales or something like that? Yeah, we, we, we tried a bunch of different stuff. So we, we had you know, the very early success with Stack Overflow. Yes, you know, having the free API obviously helped, right? And so that, that got a lot of, you know, developers just found it really easy to use and, you know, would tell their friends and, you know, they would even go and answer Stack Overflow questions or, you know, they would create sort of libraries and stuff. So that, that definitely helped. Once sort of Stack Overflow had sort of plateaued, in the fact that you know we kind of answered all the questions right, we we were kind of the top answer for all those results. We were you know for SEO, we we were there for all the all the IP address terms. We kind of went into a little bit of a haphazard mode of okay, when you how do we find the next Stack Overflow right? And you know try finding some questions on Quora, you know trying various different things, and we sort of never found another Stack Overflow right. And I think the, the what we went through a period of just being a, you know haphazard, I. Early on, yeah, tried tried a tried an outbound sales guide. Just you know, send some emails and see if that would help with business. Uh, didn't really help. You know, tried doing some content marketing. You know, hired an agency to just write some content. But all of these things without sort of any kind of strategy or plan, right? It's just like, oh, hey, you know, writing on Stack Overflow worked really well. Why don't we just write some content? Why don't we just you know, email some people and see if they might want to buy? Without sort of saying, well, okay, what is it we should be writing? You know, who is it we should be reaching out to? And so we we tried a bunch of different things. None of it didn't work really, but none of it sort of you know had any sort of inflection point, right? It was kind of like, well, this you know this 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 sort of does something, but isn't you know the same effect of as whether we write on Stack Overflow or not. And so yeah, we tried a bunch of different things, and you know in aggregate, a bunch of stuff has worked. There's a bunch of things we said, hey, you know this doesn't work well enough to to bother investing in it. A bunch of things that we've done that have been good at bringing in customers and, and that I think are good things to do. So one thing was uh, creating a bunch of you know, SDKs, a bunch of programming libraries, and that kind of really aligns with our goal of making it really easy to get at this data, making it really easy to use, but also means that you know, it's really easy for developers to find us, right? They may not be on Stack Overflow. They may not you know, have, have, have kind of be Googling for IP addresses, um, but you know, if they're in their, you know, whatever their, their library, you know, whatever programming language they're using, they may just search for you know, IP geolocation library or you know, whatever it might be. And you will be there, and, and hopefully the, you know, the easiest way for them to get set up. And so you know, it makes it easier for the developer. It also is you know, another channel for us to, to kind of get in front of the developer. One interesting thing that, that has been working really well lately for us is, is a bunch of data marketplaces. So we've sort of evolved from just having everyone consume our data through the API to you know, selling the, the data that's behind the API, making that available in, in various different data marketplaces. You know, Snowflake have this big data marketplace now. And one thing we've we've had a lot of success with is optimizing our data for Snowflake. And so, you know, anybody that's that's got their own data within Snowflake, they've got a bunch of IP addresses. Uh, you know, an API is not a good fit there. There's no way to kind of core API from Snowflake, and they've got you know huge big data sets. We've optimized all our data for 
for Snowflake, and so they can very easily enrich all their data with our data there. And that's something that you know, we see as, as, a, as a way to expand in the future as well as you know, different data marketplaces and making our data really easily accessible from you know, wherever, the, wherever the user wants it. Yeah, love it. It's a really interesting story. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about some of those sort of mistakes or, or uh, lessons you learned along the way in terms of maybe paying attention more to enterprise customers sooner or, yeah, you know, maybe getting people to sign up for the, the, the free plan. But beyond that, is there anything else you wish you'd done differently? Yeah, I guess the, the, the things we covered are the main things, right? I guess I wish I would have spoke to customers sooner or, or been you're kind of open-minded about that. And that's, that was tricky in retrospect, right? Because I was, I was busy at the time, but I think um, you're talking to customers more, making more time for that is you're always useful because you're like initially, hey, there's a small API for developers. Oh, I'll talk to a couple of customers. Okay, there's actually this, you know, this a bunch of problems out there that that we can kind of help with. That they're looking for a solution that that doesn't really exist yet, or you know, there isn't a good one. And so I think talking to customers more, but I think being aware that talking to customers was important, right? Because I think that ties into the email thing, right? Initially, it's like, hey, we don't want to talk to customers. We don't, we don't want to get e- we don't want to email them. They don't want to get emails from us. Um, and kind of setting that up so it's just much easier to kind of have two-way communication. It actually became a problem later as well when we kind of launched some new products and services. And even of those users that we kind of captured emails from, we kind of hadn't set it up where they expected to have a dialogue with us. So, you know, then we're trying to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, we've got this new product or service. And they're, they're like, you know, they're, they're less receptive that, to that message mm-hmm. than, they, than they would have been if, if kind of you know, we, we're trying to open up that dialogue sooner. Yeah, no, that, that's... Um... Some great insights, and uh, you know, like they say, you know, everyone's a genius in hindsight. But uh, right. I think it's, it's always good to to reflect on 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 these uh, these things. So we should wrap up, go into the lightning round. Uh, I'm going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Uh, just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Ready to go? Sure. Okay. Yep. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Done is better than perfect. What book would you recommend to our audience, and why? Uh, How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis is a uh, you know a really successful British entrepreneur or was before he passed away not too long ago, but it's it's really great sort of unvarnished raw advice. Kind of feels like a, you know, you're, 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 he's kind of taking you on his wing and giving you his private advice that you know it's kind of advice that you, you don't really read elsewhere. So it's a really great book. Yeah, it's, I, I love that book and it, and and I think the title is a mis- misleading. Like people might think it's one of those for get sure. Rich, yeah, books. Okay, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Resourcefulness. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Yeah, well, I mean, I w- as, for, as a habit would be to-do lists. I, I kind of write them down on, on post-it notes from other place. But as a tool, I, I love using workflowy.com for that. You know, I can just tap down notes on a on my mobile or a laptop and just kind of sync all my to-do lists together. Yeah, I, I'm a Workflowy user as well, so I love that. Awesome. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I mean, I am I am all in on IP Info. So I think if I had any more time, I'd probably dedicate some some more. I'd split it between more time on IP Info and more time with my family. So yeah, I don't have any, <laughs> beyond that, I haven't got any any kind of crazy ideas up my sleeve. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I make a really really great pasta bake. I I don't do much cooking. My <laughs> wife is an amazing cook, but I uh, I have perfected a pasta bake, and so I'm I'm really good at that. And uh, finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Hiking. So I, I, I absolutely love hiking. I spend a lot of my time sat at my desk, hunched over my computer. Uh, and at the weekends, I love to, to get outside, get some fresh air, spend some quality time with the family and, and you know, go, on, go on a really great hike. And, and that's not a surprise for me because when I was researching for this interview, nearly every photo I found of you was 
hiking somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the only pictures you kind of take of me are out hiking or, or hunched over a laptop. So I, I think <laughs> the hiking ones are, are better shots. Awesome. All right. So uh, if people want to find out more about IP Info, they can go to ipinfo.io. And uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Our Twitter account is ipinfo.io on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is codeaholic, C-O-D-E-R-H-O-L-I-C. And you're more than happy for people to email me as well. I'm ben at ipinfo.io. Awesome. Ben, thank you uh, so much for joining me. And uh, I wish you and the team the best of success. And uh, enjoy this uh, lovely weather that we're having in the Seattle area at the moment. For sure. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, I really appreciate it. All the best. Cheers. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? JotForm Tables is a solution you've been looking for. JotForm Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and JotForm Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your JotForm forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But JotForm Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? Well, you're not alone. But the good news is you don't have to settle for slow growth. The right tools can be a growth game changer. And that's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This free guide cuts through the noise and shows you the 12 essential types of tools successful SaaS startups have used to get to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you find the perfect growth tools for your needs. So stop feeling stuck. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock the growth potential you've been missing. That's the sastoolkit.com.